Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. I'd like to welcome everybody back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We've just come off a session where we were talking about social media and industrial manufacturers. And now we're rolling into a very interesting topic that uh, we covered back in December, and we had as our guest back then, uh, Linda Dempsey, who's back with us today. We're going to be talking about the Export-Import Bank and the reauthorization of it. We're also going to be talking with Dan Clifton, who is uh, with Strategus, which is a uh, a firm that does uh, analysis, research analysis for its client-based, many institutional investors, on what the impact of some of these things that happen in Washington are for the institutional investors. Linda, I'd like to welcome you back to the show. Tim, I'm happy to be here. Gosh, we're excited to have uh, you on. And uh, Dan, welcome to the show. We're interested in your point of view as well on this particular subject. Great. Thanks for having me on today. Really appreciate being here. Uh, Linda, let me start with you. What's happening with the Export-Import Bank in Washington, D.C.? Well, Tim, uh, the authorization for the Export-Import Bank expires on June 30th. Um, And unfortunately, we don't have anything scheduled on the House or Senate floor to move forward uh, a reauthorization before that June 30th expiration. Um, I'll tell you, manufacturers are very concerned around the country um, that there's going to be a lapse in this vital um, export credit agency and that we are going to be at risk of losing major opportunities overseas to our competitors. And I certainly struggle with the uh, uh, the thought that the Export-Import Bank, you know, isn't really necessary. And the reason I struggle with it is, you know, a, a large OEM, even a multinational, has uh, reach into uh, the large uh, money center banks in the large money center cities. But the small and mid-sized manufacturer who goes to the corner community bank the corner community bank does not understand the export-import market, nor do they have an international department. So how are they going to possibly export without a facility that the federal government provides? Would you agree with that, Linda? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we hear stories every day. You know, we have a lot of small manufacturers across the country that have realized that if they can export overseas, they can really increase their operations, they can hire new employees. But then they go to their local bank and say, well, I've got a deal to sell wall coverings um, to a country like Nigeria. And the local bank says, well, I don't have the ability to do a due diligence on that. Um, You're exporting your product um, because of bank rules. I can no longer give you a working capital because the product that I would put the collateral on is being exported. Um, And so a lot of small businesses um, have found the Export-Import Bank. It's really easy to go to their website. Um, It's easy for any company that exports in the United States. Uh, You don't need any special access uh, to apply to the Export-Import Bank. And they provide a lot of, you know, very basic services. These services are paid for. The Export-Import Bank fully um, pays for itself. But they provide working capital. They provide loan guarantees. They provide direct loans. 
um, and other sorts of credit insurance and financing, um, in some cases they work with the local banks who don't want to go into these foreign transactions alone, um, and they provide the loan guarantees that make that local bank able to help help that local manufacturer export its products overseas. Uh, just to share with our listeners, uh, Linda Dempsey is Vice President of International Economic Affairs for the National Association of Manufacturers. So she is really in touch with manufacturing. I think they have something like 40,000 members. Uh, Linda, give our listeners a kind of a quick uh, brief bio about you and what you do with uh, NAM. Sure thing. I'm uh, my title is Vice President International uh, Economic Affairs. That's sort of a, a mouthful. Um, what I try to do here is working with our thousands of manufacturers across the country, um, state manufacturing groups, and, and vertical uh, manufacturing associations that are our partners, is really make sure that the that manufacturers have the tools they need on the international side to expand their operations, to sell their products overseas, to be the most competitive, um, and to make sure that, that trade works to grow manufacturing in the United States. We have a lot of different priorities um, going on, but you know the Export-Import Bank right now is, is stuck in Washington. Um, we're very concerned we're, we're going to see it expire at the end of the month, and Congress is going to be home on its uh, July 4th work period. Um, and we've got to um, – we're working quite actively to make sure everybody hears about this. Um, but so we're, we're focused on the broad range of trade issues because we live in a global economy, and, you know, the United States – Man, uh, manufacturers exported a record $1.4 trillion last year. I mean, that's exciting, but we should be doing a lot more. We see a lot of competition out there from Europe, from China, Japan, Korea, elsewhere. We should be getting a bigger part of the global trade in manufactured goods, and, and something like the reauthorization of the Export-Import Bank will really help us do that. Okay, uh, now I'd like to ask you the all-important question, and, and I happen to be pro-XM uh, Bank's reauthorization. Uh, what I'm concerned about and what I don't understand is what's all the negative rap going on in Washington as to why they don't want the XM Bank? And I've read, I've read a couple of the stories. I've read all the um, stories about XM Bank not getting paid back by foreign companies or countries. I've heard all of that, uh, but you're still making money. So why is it? Why is Washington so against this, or certain parts of Washington? Well, I think you, you hit on it right there, Tim. It's certain parts of Washington, and actually a very small part of Washington. Um, if you know, there's four different. Um, pieces of legislation in Congress that would reauthorize the Export-Import Bank, and the sponsorship of those pieces of legislation show that there's broad support in both the House and the Senate on a bipartisan basis if, if, if XM reauthorization uh, saw a vote uh, in either body today, it would pass overwhelmingly and, and would move to the president's desk. There you know, are, is a small group of members of Congress and um, those um, some outside groups who view this as some sort of corporate welfare, as some sort of drain on the Treasury. Um, but when you look at the facts, neither of those are in fact the case. Um, XM you know, finances itself. It takes in fees from all these services. It collects interest on the loans. 
Um, it has a huge reserve account in the case of, of defaults, and, and the default rate has been extraordinarily low. Um, it has not cost the U.S. taxpayer a dollar and is actually, as I said, it's, it's, it's financing itself and, and all of its operations going forward. It's a pretty efficient agency. Um, and this notion that it's just for a few big companies is, is also simply not true. Um, there's over 3,000 small businesses that used Exim Bank um, last year. Um, most of the transactions are um, for small businesses. Now, if you are selling a big piece of capital equipment that costs millions of dollars, yeah, the, the, the transaction value goes to a lot of the bigger companies, um, in fact. And, but, of course, those big companies use a lot of small and medium-sized suppliers in their networks. Um, overall, we see XM as, as, as growing manufacturing in a way that is open, as I said, I think earlier, it's open to anyone who meets the eligibility requirements. You don't need special access. You don't need to hire a Washington lawyer or lobbyist to, to use the XM services. You can um, go to their website and, and figure out what the, those services are. And a lot of our companies actually have done that, and that's how they found out about XM, or they were told about it by their local bank. Now, some say, well, why doesn't the market provide this? Um, and we talked about that a little bit earlier, but, but the market isn't providing these services and has not provided these services um, in the United States. Um, and so uh, from our perspective, you know, there's a, a very vocal minority out there that, that's in opposition, but most members of Congress uh, ha are actually on record as supporting it. Uh, this is uh, Lou again. Uh, for the sake of our listeners, are there um, uh, local XM bank offices scattered throughout the United States that they can, for those who don't want to do this online, can go in and either call or talk, go to or talk to uh, XM bank uh, counselors, consultants, what have you? Well, to, to, to keep the efficiency of the Export-Import Bank, the, the specialists are actually, you know, largely here in Washington, but, but they're happy to call you, and um, there are times that, that they um, or colleagues from other parts of the U.S. government that can talk about these services. I know, you know, Commerce and other parts of the U.S. government will, will talk about those services at, at events around the country, but it's, it's, it's very easy to call. I mean, you know, to set up offices all around the United States would be a very costly type of um, venture, and, and so um, sure. they haven't gone down, down that route at all. So it's not yeah, like it's, it's not like having to deal with a typical government agency where you have to make 82 phone calls, wait online, get hung up on. Uh, you have a more efficient way of handling the uh, prospective uh, clients. Yeah, I mean it's a, you know it's a pretty small government agency, uh, relatively efficient. Um, you know, uh, most of our our, our uh, manufacturers have had very good experiences there. I mean, you know. 
sometimes you get somebody on a bad day and it's a little bit harder, just like any any sort of business out there. But um, by and large, it, it provides a pretty efficient way forward. Um, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of information, frankly, right on um, the xm.gov website uh, for everybody to see. I mean, and we obviously work with our manufacturers and, and provide them whatever other additional information um, to our members here at the NAM on that. But you don't really need that because the information is there. It's very easy to reach the, the, the part of XM that has the type of services uh, that, you, that you might need, whether it's credit insurance or working capital. Um, and as I said, some of the local banks have worked with XM in the past, and they've done, you know, done it through joint financing or loan guarantees when that local bank is just not familiar enough with going into financing um, certain exports to certain uh, types of places over, overseas. And that's where yeah, – oh, oh, go ahead. I want to go to Dan for a minute here. Dan, uh, Dan. two things. One, I, I'd like you to explain to our listeners uh, Strategus and your role sure. with Strategus. Yeah. And, and why uh, we felt it was important to have you on the show, because these kinds of decisions in Washington have impacts on those folks who do business with Strategus, and we'd like you to also share what you think the impact of the XM Bank uh, probably not being reauthorized by June sure. 30th might be. So please, go ahead, Dan. That's great. Thank you for having me on. So Strategus Research Partners is an investment research firm. Uh, that uh, provides uh, investment, economic, and policy advice to institutional investors. I sit in Washington uh, and try and understand the impacts that Congress uh, is going to have, decisions made in Congress that are going to have on the economy. Uh, and uh, obviously the XM Import Bank is something that has our attention. I think Linda did a fantastic job of explaining all the issues around the Export-Import Bank. Uh, and what we have been doing is studying what if there is a lapse in the Export-Import Bank and what would that mean. It obviously will be different uh, depending on the time horizon of the expiration. For example, there's some talk about putting the uh, reauthorization of the Export-Import Bank on the Highway Reauthorization Bill that needs to get done by July 31st. If that's the case, then you would only have a one-month uh, expiration. There seems to be a consensus here in Washington that you can have the XM uh, bank lapse for one month without a major economic impact. But in fact, when we studied the government shutdown of 2013, we saw the lowest authorizations of export-import bank loans in almost five years. Uh, and so the belief was that maybe they didn't authorize as many loans and that it would get pushed back to November and December uh, or October, uh, November and December after the October shutdown. And that turned out not to be the case. So you probably saw some of these smaller lenders going to the banks to try and get financed in the private sector. Uh, and even bank opponents would acknowledge that the transition, transaction costs would increase for XM users uh, if they go outside the export-import bank uh, overall. So we tend to think that having a lapse uh, could impact the number of authorizations that are out there. Uh, and that could lead to business going elsewhere. So you need to be very careful with that. The next point that I would make is that we're starting to think that maybe the Export-Import Bank might not get reauthorized until later this year. We say this as an as analyst. We, we don't have a stake in this game. We're not lobbyists. We're not pro-XM or anti-XM. We're just trying to understand kind of the dynamics that are out there. 
but we get a little bit worried watching some of the supporters of the Export-Import Bank say that there is going to be dire consequences right away. In fact, we found that there will be fewer short-term authorizations, as we, as we saw during the government shutdown. But if the sky does not fall uh, in those first 30 days, it's going to embolden the small number of conservatives uh, who do not want to reauthorize the Export-Import Bank. Hey, it's, it's gone away, and you know business hasn't fallen down completely. It will, over time, ramp up pressure, and we believe that as some of those bigger type of loans have to come in, uh, there will be a lot of pressure on Congress to do this, but we are starting to plan for a longer-term lapse, absent some sort of major change uh, in the July or August period. As you know, Congress goes away for almost the entire month of August, so it might not be until the fall until we get that reauthorized, uh, and there's going to be some negative consequences to that. I'd like to come back to your point about uh, the conservatives not mm-hmm. wanting to reauthorize XM Bank. Sure. And uh, again, as a pro XM Bank, just from the yep. self-education that I gave myself, I, I'm, not, I'm having a hard time why they don't want this to exist. Sure. And, and I think first, Linda did a, a wonderful job of explaining where they come from. But I'll tell you about my meetings with many of the conservatives, uh, conservative outside groups and conservative members of Congress. And the first point that they'll make to me is something much larger than the Export-Import Bank. They talk about federal guarantees in the federal budget. There's a number of guarantees that the federal government has made, most notably on Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, some of them on terrorism reinsurance, some of them on the Export-Import Bank. And their point was that these are all solvent until they're not solvent, uh, and we saw with Fannie Mae that, that that could go away. I think there's a huge difference between Export-Import Bank and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, but I'm just trying to give you an understanding of where they're coming from. So it's, they want to get rid of all these kind of loan guarantees in the federal budget. The second point that they'll make to us is that they're not arguing that this loses money or that this has high default rates. They're making an argument that the government is displacing the private sector when they go ahead and do this, and that if they are making money off it, that means that they're squeezing out the private sector. The third argument gets to this idea of kind of crony capitalism, where that there's really only three big firms that actually benefit from that. They cite the fact that Boeing gets 55% of the revenue, GE gets another 16%, and Caterpillar another 10%. I'm, I'm just citing some of the kind of numbers off the top of my head. But they basically say that this is a taxpayer finance program for these three. And I think Linda did a good job explaining the size, if you're building airplanes relative to you know financing some smaller deals, how it could start looking disproportionately like that. But their point is that you know uh, Boeing can go out and do something else, uh, get financing somewhere else, and by Boeing getting that subsidy, uh, it's putting other U.S. airlines at a competitive disadvantage. So Delta has been a big uh, arguing that 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 uh, foreign airplanes get cheaper financing than U.S. airplanes do, and that those U.S. airplanes are barred from participating in other countries' uh, similar export-import banks. And I think that starts to form the basis of where the conservatives are coming from in their opposition to this. Uh, Linda, are you concerned at all, uh, uh, to Dan's point, that if this goes away and nothing falls off the edge of the cliff, that the people who don't want to reauthorize reauthorize now have a stronger position and they push it? Well, I think um, 
those who are opposed to this are going to remain opposed to this, and they're going to make those arguments as, as much as they can, uh, you know, as, as we see it, right? You know, there are millions of dollars of, of pending deals right now before XM. Um, you know, there's already been a slowdown in companies even being able to go to XM because of the, they, they understand that they can't get something approved um, at this. And I think what we're going to see is a, you know, announcements, you know, there are going to be things that are terminated um, in the month of July if it doesn't get reauthorized uh, that are, are going to start um, showing some pain as, you know, um, XM will, would be able to continue its ongoing financing of, of things that have been approved, but it wouldn't be able to grant new financing. We're going to see, you know, millions of dollars of foreign deals happening uh, in July in August, going forward if XM isn't reauthorized, and who's going to win those deals? Because those sales are going to be made, and they're going to be made by our competitors who, oh, by the way, are funded by over 60 export credit agencies over, overseas. I mean, those export credit agencies are already bigger than XM banks or 20 to 1 margin, they're growing, and they're looking at the expiration of XM Bank as a real opportunity to grow manufacturing and jobs in their country. And so at the end of the day, it's, it, it's baffling that anyone in Congress would not want to move forward on an XM Bank reauthorization because it's just really going to be sending jobs overseas. Well, two points I'd like to make. One, Congress doesn't baffle me anymore about anything. <laughs> uh, number, two, number two, uh, and, and good thing we're not John McLaughlin because I'd really tell you what I think. Anyway, number two is, uh, and I don't remember going back uh, earlier in the show, if the point came out that a lot of what you also do is loan funds to foreign corporations so that they can buy, so that they can buy American goods, and I think that's a very important uh, point to bring out. It absolutely is, Tim. Uh, what we're trying to do with Export Import Bank is export our manufactured products made here with American workers around the world. And some of those places aren't easy places to do business. And, um, you know, with a high dollar right now, U.S. exporters have, have a tougher time in some of these markets. And XM Bank is critical. There's lots of um, deals that are going on overseas that if you don't have a government sitting with you at the table, even if XM doesn't do any of the financing, you can't even bid on a project in the nuclear area or if you're selling medical equipment to a state-owned hospital overseas. We should want to sell our products as, as many different places to, to customers around the world because that cr increases economic activity here, that supports manufacturing, which produces higher-paying jobs throughout our economy with um, a huge positive impact more broadly on, on the U.S. economy. Uh, we can and should do better, and so we're going to keep fighting. We're going to keep fighting to get the Exim Bank reauthorized. We need it done on a multi-year level to create that type of certainty, um, or else we're, you know, manufacturers are, are going to suffer. It, you know, is probably going to be phased in over time, but we are, we are, um, we need Exim Bank to, is a critical part of that pro-manufacturing um, trade policy that, that we need to grow manufacturing in this country. Dan, how about from uh, your perspective as you look at the analysis here, 
Um, If it's, let's say it doesn't fall off a cliff on uh, July 1st, but it starts us down a slippery slope, have you looked at that aspect uh, in in terms of impact? Uh, We have, and we we think that it will be a a ratcheting up of pressure each day that this goes on. Uh, There's going to be more and more pressure to do this. And, and, And I have to say that, you know, Senator McConnell, according to press reports, Senator McConnell had promised the Washington state senators of Cantwell and Mary a vote on the Export-Import Bank in the month of June as part of the negotiations around the Trade Promotion Authority bill. Those senators feel somewhat slighted because it was a more of a procedural vote that they have actually had and that you didn't have this vehicle and so I think there's going to be a lot of pressure in July for at least the Senate to be able to have a vote uh, and, and really start to put pressure on the House. Uh, as, as Linda has said, small business authorizations uh, make up the bulk of these uh, total uh, export-import bank transactions. Those are going to be the constituents in the uh, congressional districts of these congressional members while they're going to be home in the month of August. So if you don't get it done by July, and we think the pressure will start building in July, but that's where the pressure will really start coming, using the August recess to be able to communicate uh, with their members of Congress that this is raising their financing costs. And I think that's kind of where the pressure ultimately has to come from, uh, because you need to be able to get the Speaker of the House comfortable with passing a Senate version of this uh, over the objection of key members of the uh, of the House Republican Conference. I just want to remind our listeners that uh, uh, at 2.30, we're expecting Congresswoman Debbie Dingell to join us, Representative of Michigan's 12th Congressional District, to speak on the subject. I invite Linda and Dan to stay with the show for as long as they can. If they have to drop out, that's fine. Um, uh, Linda, anything else in particular that you want to share? I know that you had kind of a tight window. I don't know that if you can stay with us for the second half of the show. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to miss uh, the second half of the show, but I'm, I'm sure it's going to be great, Tim, and, and I really appreciate your um, doing this because I think it's a really important issue that um, folks don't understand. You know, over the last uh, several years, the Exim Bank uh, has supported exports that have supported over 1.2 million jobs. I mean, this is this is important for an economy like the United States that's been struggling out of a recession. Um, we're trying to um, do that from the manufacturing side and, and to grow those opportunities. And you know, with manufacturing having such a strong multiplier effect on, on the rest of the economy, you know, this is a, a, a smart move to reauthorize a government agency that's small, that's self-funding, that supports um, exports, uh, that support jobs throughout our country. And, you know, there are um, small business exporters in every single state that have used XM. Um, Every year there's about 600, 700 new exporters, companies that have never exported before that that use XM services. And that's really exciting because, you know, the United States is a country our – our companies have um, seen our big U.S. market, and, and we've been a little bit more reluctant to, to export. But with our efficiency and productivity um, and the growth that we've seen in world trade and manufactured goods and the growth, the economic growth and population growth overseas, you know, 95% of the world lives outside our, of our borders, over uh, 70% of world purchasing power. We can't just 
sit and sell to ourselves anymore if we're going to grow the type of quality jobs and, and innovative new products. So Export-Import Bank is, is, is a small little tool that um, would, you know, as I said, has garnered broad support in Congress, in the House and Senate, and, and all we're seeking is that it come up for a vote uh, in both bodies in, in a way to go forward. We're going to um, – our manufacturers are going to be talking to members when they get back home for the July 4th work period, um, and we are going to be doing everything possible in July to make this um, – uh, you know the the shortest as possible um, period without the export import bank because this is so critical, um, especially to the small businesses that I hear from every single day uh, who are who are asking about how we're going to to get this renewed. I think that um, somewhere along the line somebody should let the conservatives know that in addition to all the other good things that XM Bank does, you have a major impact on the balance of trade. And that if we don't have the balance of trade, we're going to owe a ton of money without any anything coming back. So I think that that point needs to be really laid out there very firmly. Linda, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. You've always been an excellent voice and very knowledgeable on this subject. Uh, we appreciate you being on uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio again. And, Dan, uh, you're certainly welcome to join us for the second half of the show uh, Dan, I wanted to just pose one quick question to yep, you. Sure. Did you do did you do any look see at you know somebody says oh the XM Bank goes away, uh, jobs go away. Well, it may not yep. fall off a cliff, but yep. have, could there be less job hires? Do you see an impact there? Absolutely. Manufacturers are making their investment decisions based on their cost of financing. So if they figure that their cost of financing is going to go up, all else being equal you will start to see fewer jobs being created, lower wage growth, and overall a lower GDP. Now, there could be some transition where some of that gets picked up through private transaction financing, but there will be at least a disruption in the short run. And we tend to see that manufacturing is starting to pick up uh, around the country. It's now, now it's time to start playing with it. Well, great. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we will be with Congresswoman uh, Debbie Dingell, representative of Michigan's 12th Congressional District, and uh, hopefully Dan will be with, uh, with us on the show. Uh, Linda had to uh, head off on another assignment that she's working on for National Association of Manufacturers. Very pleased to have her on the show. So let's take a commercial break, and we'll be back very shortly. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it. And it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. 
All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We are very excited to have with us now Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, Representative of Michigan's 12th Congressional District, to talk about the reauthorization of the Export-Import Bank. Uh, we're here with Lou Weiss and Tim Grady on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Congresswoman, thank you for taking the time to join us. Well, it's great to be with both of you. How are you today? Thank you. Thank you. Very fine. And yourself? I'm doing okay. It's hot in Washington, but that's all right. I like heat. (laughs) Well, Congresswoman, what in the world is hanging up the reauthorization of the Export-Import Bank? It seems like it's done such a great job for 75 years, and now people are letting it twist in the wind. Well, I think you probably should be asking a Republican that question versus somebody like me (laughs) who um, understands the importance of the role that the Export-Import Bank plays. I think that if I'm in a kind and charitable mood, uh, it would be that a lot of people don't understand the role that it plays. And I, I find it ironic that we're sitting here having this crisis discussion right now as we are in the middle of intense consideration of different trade policies. And the Export-Import Bank is a very important tool in our toolbox that helps small businesses export overseas. So I I think a major problem is that people just don't understand what the bank does. Well, that's interesting. I know that there's been some talk about uh, the Export-Import Bank uh, by one accounting uh, losing $200 million a year and by another accounting uh, contributing to the Treasury um, and as we look at Washington, my confusion is I think Washington's always kept two sets of books. What's the right set of books, Congresswoman? Does it make money or lose money? Well, it doesn't lose money. It doesn't add to the deficit one sing- single bit. You know, the, since 2007, the XM Import Bank has supported $11 billion. That's billion with a B. And export sales just from Michigan alone. Oh which is my home state, wow. of t- for 228 Michigan companies, and the majority of which those are small businesses. And I think what people don't understand is that the XM Bank is provides financing for foreign buyers of U.S. products. They're, they're complex transactions. The private sector, for a variety of reasons, one, because they are complex, or two, that they are overseas, don't like to finance them. And, you know, more than I can't, I think it's 81, and I don't have the figure in my um, head totally. Other companies have a entity like the Export-Import Bank to help their small businesses. You know, in, one, in looking and studying all of, this, uh, all of this in the um, last few weeks, I've been candidly more focused on uh, TPP and TPA, but it's been estimated that China has provided its exporters with more financing than the XM, XM Bank has provided American exporters in its entire 81-year history in just the last two years. So China is giving support to its small businesses 
that we've given over the entire history of this bank. That's what we're competing with. That's not a level playing field. Other countries are doing this. We've got to do the same for our small businesses that other, that other governments are doing. I absolutely agree. We just had Linda Dempsey on, who is Vice President of International Economic Affairs for the National Association of Manufacturers. And we talked at this point that the small and mid-sized manufacturer who goes to their corner community bank, it can't possibly do an international deal through that banking facility. They don't even begin to understand it. NXM does. And that's exactly that, that's the exact case. Last Friday, because I am so concerned about this, uh, and I, I mean, let me also say, some of your viewers may not know that I have a manufacturing background, worked for General Motors for uh, more than 30 years, and then worked for all three companies. So when I left GM and went to work for all three, I was on the advisory board for uh, the Export-Import Bank, and I saw the kind of work that they do. So last week, because I understand how important it is and cannot believe that we're looking at taking away this tool at a time we can't afford it, I visited two companies in my district. One was Polytortex, which is in Ann Arbor, and, and the other is a, f- a friend that does gutter parts that's uh, in the Down Rivers, uh, Hancock Enterprises. But when I left Ann Arbor, and I had never visited, had never met uh, Luke before or seen his product, and it's a great product. It helps strengthen concrete. He said to me, if they do away with the Export-Import Bank, I don't know what I'm going to do. And that's what we're talking about. This is a tool that businesses were trying to grow their businesses, sell overseas, and that's what we're all saying is we're doing this TPA and TPP. We've got to compete in the global marketplace. Well, if you're competing in a global marketplace, you've got to have what you need to compete. I absolutely agree. And we also hear the argument that this is crony capitalism and not to throw any dispersions on Washington, but a lot of what happens in Washington is cronyism, I think. Well, uh, I, I won't agree with you. You know, just because you do something that makes common sense just happens to be that on the reauthorization of the bank, it's supported by labor and the Chamber of Commerce. Why is something cronyism when something is the right thing to do, when it's the right economic tool that makes sense? I absolutely agree. I don't think it's crony capitalism Thank at all. You. I think they're using some, some numbers in terms of loan dollars to make the argument. I think it's a hollow read that uh, really doesn't hold water when you look at the number of companies that are helped out by the XM Bank. I mean, I think what Not people – No, you're dead right. What people don't understand and is that the bank's mandate is to step in when private lending's not available and to provide financing that levels the playing field for American exporters when foreign governments are providing financing for their companies. It supports American job creators, and it helps American business succeed overseas. Not to get political, but I'm going to be political. Oh, go for it. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to go for it. I, I usually do it once or twice a show. I always regret it, but I really don't. I get in um, trouble a lot, too. I've heard. Uh, I, I think that this has more to do with somebody wants to win and somebody wants somebody else to lose. And unfortunately, they're not looking at the facts as it, as it affects the American public and American manufacturing, and that it's just a question of playing politics as usual. And uh, it, it's, I think it's terrible. 
this has been going on now a number of years in Washington. I'm a native of Washington. Uh, I was there in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, it didn't exist then. We had patriots then. We don't have them now. And unfortunately, this is what we got. And I hope that uh, you can generate enough interest on both sides of the aisle to get this thing passed. And if there's anything that Manufacturing Talk Radio can do further to help get you your message out, we are, um, we, I am volunteering our efforts to help you. Well, one, I thank you. Two, I'm not going to answer your question directly because I <laughs> want to tell. No, I'm going to tell. I'm going to answer this very. I came to Washington and said to people, I think people are tired of the partisan bickering. You know, I'm a Democrat. I can be as, you know, a party person when we all need to, but I have very good friends on both sides of the aisle. And I think the American people want to see us come together to solve problems. So therefore, Amen. I'm not I'm just I'm not taking shots. I will not attack a Republican. I'm not allowing myself to get into partisan uh language that takes, you know, attacks at that. I I am concerned that I think what you're doing is a very critical role because I think people who care about manufacturing need to call their elected representatives and tell them why it is so important. But, you know, Boehner's in a very difficult position because he himself uh, wants to support the bank's existence. But he's got a conference that a majority of which is mobilized in opposition. So we've got to the chair of the, fi- of the House Finance Committee is one of the most vocal XM opponents. So we've got to, people need to communicate with their member of Congress, especially those that have had success and who can show that how this is creating jobs. And by the way, the bank is fully played back. It doesn't cost, it is contributing to the deficit. It isn't costing the budget. It's an extension of credit that you cannot get from a another source. And so it's helping you in an international market. And we're competing with other companies. That's that's what makes me nuts even on TPA and TPP. We've got governments in other countries that fight for their companies. And I think that we in this country, I know we have to compete in a global marketplace. I want to compete in a global marketplace. Our workers can compete with anybody in the world. But we need to have a government that's going to fight for us the way governments fight for workers in other countries. Hallelujah. I Amen. I agree. Yeah, I, I see it every day, and you hear the, the you will hear all companies of all sizes complaining about the tons of regulations that are laid on them and make it more difficult for them to do their tasks. Congressman, what about jobs? You know, we're just at a point where we're starting to get legs under us in employment. Now we're talking about, well, let's cut off a toe and not reauthorize XM Bank. That's certainly got to hurt future jobs, wouldn't you think? Well, I know how much that since 2007, the bank supported more, almost 60,000 Michigan jobs alone. So, wow. uh, I mean, that's just Michigan. I know my Michigan fa- facts and figures. Uh, uh, I don't happen to have the number nationally. But if you cut this off, if, if you take that and you know that that's happening in other states, yes, it's going to cost us jobs. And that's what people need to look at. If a company can't get financing to export its product that it's making to an overseas company, they're going to end up laying off people. We're going to lose jobs. And not only are we going to lose jobs, we're not going to create other jobs. Well, let me also ask you this, because this came out in the news, uh, and it happened back in May, where the Democrats asked, okay, we'll talk about TPA and uh, the other trade uh, acronym. I'm sorry, I don't remember what it is. If you'll give us a vote on 
XM Bank, and then you you got schnookered because it was a procedural vote, not a floor vote. Uh, how do we get this to a floor vote? Well, uh, Sandy Hoyer tried very hard with the Majority Leader McCarthy last week to have a uh, colloquy on the floor. And um, I think the American people just have to scream and say that we can't afford to let this go out of business. It may be that the senators are going to have to be the ones that attach it to some kind of – the parliamentary situation in the House is much more difficult to get something like this to move if leadership has decided that they're not going to move something. The Senate has an ability to try to get this to move, and everybody's going to continue to work on trying to get a vote on it. I think the reality is, and I'm going to do everything I can this week to make sure that people know the importance of what the bank does, and I think you'll see us when we're home next week talk to people and try to draw attention to it. But I think we will have a period of time that this bank will not be reauthorized, and I hope that there will be a grassroots hue and cry and that everybody listening to the show and everybody who's in manufacturing and everybody who knows what a critical tool this is will communicate with their representatives about why this matters and stop playing politics with things that help grow the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Congressman Dingle, uh, is the media in general supportive? Are they airing this story like they should be? I think it's a complicated story. I think you've seen far less on this than you have on TPA or TPP. Uh, I think you probably will start to see, and of course some of the other current events of the day, um, which have been very tragic, have also dominated the news. I think as you move towards a June 30th expiration date, which, by the way, has become a real problem in Washington. We seem to rule by crisis, uh, management by crisis. Uh, You'll hope to see more coverage of it, but you're doing everyone a favor by talking about it and uh, trying to highlight it, and I hope the media gives it more coverage and talks about why it does matter. Going back in time about seven, eight months ago when we had the L.A. port issue, um, the basic really did not know anything about what was going on, and we were broadcasting about it. We had, uh, I think, five or six shows about it, trying to uh, alert the public as to what was going on, and the media didn't pick up on it until uh, Obama finally uh, called in the Department of Labor and the Department of Secretary of Labor and Commerce to go to L.A. to say, either you settle this or you're going to D.C. Uh, and that took eight months for the media to finally jump in. Uh, this is as critical an issue as losing $3 billion a day at the ports. Uh, and so I'm, I'm sorry, sorry to see that the media only picks up on some of the horrific stories uh, as opposed to some of the more financial critical stories. Everybody's affected. Well, you know that I agree with you, and I am thoroughly delighted to spend a day talking to two people who understand the importance of manufacturing, how it's the backbone of the American economy. I want to see us bring those manufacturing jobs back. I thank you for trying to help educate people, and I hope I get to spend lots of time with you all over the years to come. 
Well, Congressman, what we would like to extend to you, especially in the next uh, week, two weeks, five weeks, whatever it takes, if something uh, you think needs to be aired to get this story out there, please touch base with us. We'll get you back on the air. Uh, We'll be glad to have you, and we'll be glad to push for the reauthorization of the XM Bank. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you for having me, and it is very good talking to both of you. Have a good day, and may the economy win when this is all over. Yes, in the long run, I'm sure it will. Thank you, Congresswoman. Thank you. Thanks, both of you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, we were certainly pleased to have uh, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell on, and I commend her on her position not to take shots at the other side of the aisle. She's absolutely right. It doesn't help anything. Uh, she She's absolutely right that the American people want to see Congress come together, and the carping and sniping has got to end. Would you agree, Lou? I, not not only would I agree with that, uh, but Congressman uh, Congresswoman uh, Dingell is not a career politician. Uh, she has uh, been brought into it and carries uh, uh, carries uh, a good story along with her. And I'm glad to hear that uh, you know she joins us for this show. Um, and uh, it, it it certainly is uh, striking that uh, the conservative branch of our government is so backward in thinking and they're so obsessed with winning and losing that they put all of us at risk and uh, you know the LA port issue I I bring up that again that also was a situation where the government put us at risk by not jumping in soon enough early enough it cost us a fortune it cost us our first quarter's GDP, negative GDP here that should not have happened. It did happen. Uh, I'm not sure. And, you know, they're predicting a four, four and a half percent GDP for the year. It ain't never going to happen. And we just have to make up for so much what we lost in that first quarter. I believe the the revised number was minus 0.9 GDP. Uh, you got a long way to go to reach four. <laughs> you have to do five to uh, catch up. Um, but uh, I, I, I make a plea to our Congress uh, to do the right thing um, in, in many areas, this one in particular. Well, you know, you're more Democratic than I am, and I'm more Republican than you are. And I look at the Republican side of the aisle. I'm an independent, but I sound like a Democrat. (laughs) You know, they're usually pro-business, and on this one, I just can't call it Uh, pro-business. I also am astonished when you listen to stuff coming out of Washington that one side says, they contributed $675 million to the Treasury last year. The other side says they're losing $200 million a year. And this is how the government keeps our books, folks. This isn't not just <laughs> the XM Bank. This is how they keep the books on everything. They don't know if they're coming or going. Unfortunately, I have to agree with you. Um, my sense of it is, and uh, Congresswoman Dingell said it uh, near the end of the show, that Washington is a uh, uh, they, they deal in crisis, and they yeah. seem to come they seem to come come through in the end. So uh, I also suggest that perhaps let's not live on the edge of the edge of the ledge. Let's get something done with ample time, so we don't have to go through all this uh, panic and and blowing in the wind and being concerned. 
and uh, certainly some of the uh, manufacturing companies today are making decisions about whether they move forward or not on certain projects, certain product lines, uh, because they don't know if they're going to be able to finance it. And oh, uh, to, that, to that extent, uh, our, our foreign competitors are laughing at us. Uh, and we do business internationally, and I hear it. I know it. And uh, we we sometimes look like fools. Yes, and uh, clearly, you know, if you look at China and the way they're subsidizing their small and mid-sized enterprises, and if you look at where China plans to be in 50 years, by the way, as you know, Lou, you're reading the book, in 50 years they plan to be the world's largest economy and the world's strongest superpower. So it looks like we're going to hand it to them on a silver platter if we keep carping in Washington the way we've been doing. Uh, to be exact, uh, the year is 2049, which will be the 100th anniversary of the Communist Party, and it's called the uh, the 100 Year Marathon. And uh, I, I know you folks in government who are listening to this show know <laughs> exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not going to get into the book. I strongly suggest that you read it by uh, Michael Pillsbury. Uh, the 100-Year Marathon, the Strategies of China Taking Over, Effectively Taking Over the Power and the Economic Power and the Military Power of the World. And they're doing everything they can to uh, arrive at that end. Um, but I won't get into the rest of that. I'll let you go read the book. You're right, right. I, and, then, you know, there was recently a uh, uh, XM Bank uh, loan authorization to uh, Australia, for $150 million, and everybody's crying that, oh, gee, we're never going to see that money again. Well, first of all, you don't know that. And secondly, it's not like Bank of America or Citibank or pick another one, Lehman Brothers, any of those big boys didn't take some loan losses over the years. Some of them have been pretty startling. So I don't expect, uh, I don't know whether or not we'll see the $150 million back, but uh, there was also the Solyndra deal that the government made. Maybe they should have run that through the XM Bank and vetted it before they pulled that trigger where we lost $500 million. And let us not forget our wise investments of South America you know, <laughs> 20, 30 years ago. Uh, see, the benefit that the, that the government has is that they could just, uh, as they say in one of the Seinfeld uh, episodes, uh, they just write it off. Yeah, and they're writing off our tax dollars. Let's be clear, who's taking the hit here? You, that's me, exactly, and the rest of middle America is taking exactly the short. Right. That's exactly right. Well, Lou, I think that pretty much wraps us up on this uh, segment of the show where we talked about the uh, reauthorization of the XM Bank. We're going to uh, make this available to those of you who uh, want to tweet it out to your friends and say, geez, you really ought to tune in and hear this show. Uh, terrific guests. We certainly thank Dan Clifton for being on the show from uh, Strategus. We want to thank Linda Dempsey again for being on the show from the National Association of Manufacturers and Congresswoman Debbie Dingle for taking her time from Michigan's 12th District Business to join us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. We enjoyed having all of them on this subject. Lou? And for all of those who have not listened to this whole show, I mean, on today for two hours, which is unusual, but uh, we felt as though that XM Bank was a very important topic to uh, air. And we recommend that you go to mfgtalkradio.com 
listen to uh, both shows uh, and send us your comments to uh, info at mfgtalkradio.com. Uh, we, we enjoy reading your comments. We've called several of you people and talked about uh, your subjects, and we've even had a couple of you folks on the air over this past uh, year. And, uh, Tim, you have a point you'd like to bring up? As a matter of fact, Lou, we have a survey online that we would like to encourage our listeners to go take our survey. Tell us how we're doing. Give us your feedback. You know, we're really doing this for you. This is to, to help them, the American manufacturers and also manufacturers around the globe understand what the issues are, where the resources are they can go to to get the solutions. So let's uh, – let's, uh, wrap it up for today thank you everyone for being on manufacturing talk radio we'll be back again next week we've got a great show we're going to be talking about uh, robots in the marketplace uh, and then where that's taking off so join us again next week tuesday for manufacturing talk radio and thank you for listening today thanks for joining us on manufacturing talk radio you can hear our next broadcast each tuesday at 1 p.m eastern standard time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.